All right, is anybody ready to get into the Word of God today? Come on, convince somebody else. Are you ready for the Word today? Amen. Amen. I am Red Bull excited to preach this message today. Went back for another cup of coffee between services. So I'm ready. Why don't you grab your Bibles with me? Open to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. And as you're turning there, I want to do something very important today. As uh, Pastor Chris mentioned a moment ago, our teenagers are getting ready to leave for youth camp tomorrow. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing on them. You know, it's in those camp experiences in my own life that I can look back and see some significant milestones in my journey with God. I, I just believe, and this isn't original to me, uh, but I believe this equation is true. That when we get a different pace and a different place, we get a different perspective. And there's something powerful about getting students out of their normal day-to-day -day lives and into a different routine. They change their pace, they change their place, and their eyes become open to a deeper revelation of God's plan and purpose for their life. Over and over and over. Now, that's not in the notes, but that's just a free little sermon for you right there before we pray. Over and over again, I've seen God do it in my own life and in the lives of students for over 16 years of youth ministry. And so I want to pray that God does nothing less than that this week. Would you agree with me? Come on, if you've got your Bible, stand as we pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to send our students to youth camp this week. God, I pray that you would do a work in their life that they will forever look back on. That that summer in 2018, they heard your voice more clearly than ever before. That chains fell off of their life that had uh, held them for years. That, that clarity about your purpose and plan for them became crystal clear. God, let this be a week that leaves them marked like Jacob to where they walk different from now on. God, thank you, Lord, for this week. We pray your power and your spirit would be at work on that campground. Lord, keep them safe, coming and going. Lord, give our youth uh, leaders just a supernatural supply of energy and endurance for the week. And God, we pray that next week when they come back, and leading into uh, Vacation Bible School, that those students would shift the atmosphere of this church. God, let what you do in their life affect this church and all the other students. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Stay on your feet with me. Stay on your feet with me. Matthew chapter 28, are you there? Last week, we began a series called The, Great, the Greatest Show. The Greatest Show. And we started with The Greatest commandment in all of the Bible. And Jesus said what that is. I know you're in chapter 28, but I want to read it to you out of chapter 22. Because Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. So last week, here's what we did. Looking out of the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy 6, I showed you a pattern. It, it starts with listen. And then it goes to love, and then it goes to lead. Listen, it says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. We have to listen to who God says he is and who he says we can be. And then we have to love. It goes on to say the verse we just read. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Let these commands be on your heart. And once they're on your heart, we talked about leading. Then it goes on to say, impress them upon your children. And so that's what God has called us to do in response to the greatest 
commandment. But if I could add another L this morning to my little alliteration of listen, love, and lead, the word would be launch. Because when we live in appropriate response to the greatest commandment, then what happens is we are launched into the great commission. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the great commission. Did you find your place there in Matthew 28? All right, let's read it. Look at it with me. It says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. But when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them. Aren't you glad that Jesus still comes to us in our doubts? Am I the only real person here this morning? I mean, come on. I'm not the only one that has doubts, right? All right. Not a trick question. Look at verse 18 with me, though. Then he says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we call the greatest commandment the greatest commandment because that's what Jesus said it is. He said this is the greatest of all the commandments. But we call this the Great Commission, not because Jesus said it. Actually, it was missionaries about a century ago that called this the Great Commission. So, don't want to bust anybody's bubble at the beginning of the message, but the Great Commission, the words Great Commission, are not actually scriptural. Now, your Bible might have a heading like mine does that says what you're about to read is the Great Commission, but that was added for instruction. That was added for clarity's sake. The words Great Commission were a phrase that was coined for the purpose of stirring up the next generation of young people to answer the call to missional living. They called it the Great Commission to inspire vision. And I was thinking about that this week. I don't know if maybe that still works for you. Maybe the Great Commission is great enough. But maybe if we were going to give it a new title in our day, in this generation, we'd call it the cause. Have you ever noticed how many people have causes today? Everybody has a cause, right? I mean, get on social media. Everybody is cause-driven. I mean, it's amazing. People can come to church week in and week out and, and, and never give towards missions or to tithe, but then when somebody starts a GoFundMe on social media to help somebody struggling with an ingrown toenail, they're going to give to that, right? They're going to share the link and, and get everybody else. Why? Because we love the cause, the latest, the greatest cause. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's no cause greater than this cause that we call the Great Commission. The cause of Christ is the cause that's worth living for and the only one worth dying for. Maybe, maybe the cause isn't the title. Maybe we should call it the human right. Because, boy, you want to start a conflict, start talking about human rights, right? I didn't say rights, though. I said we ought to call this the human right. Because I believe it's the human right to know that God sent his son Jesus into the world to be the savior of the world. Did anybody come to church today that believes that? I believe it. I believe it's the human right that everyone should hear the gospel at least once before any of us deserve to hear it twice. This is the human right. 
And I want to tell you, whether you call it the cause or the human right or the great commission, it is great. It's not the good commission. And it's not the great suggestion. It is the great commission. I'm going to tell you, it's great today. And the reason it's great is because it includes all of us. Everybody standing in this room today, everyone watching online that professes faith in Jesus, it includes you and me. Here's how I know this is for you. Because when Jesus told the 11, the Great Commission, he said, I want you to go into every nation with the gospel. Now, the scope of the mission in itself says this is impossible if Jesus is not talking to them as representatives of the church. It's for all of us. And, and, and on another note, why would Jesus say, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages, if they were all going to be dead in the next 70 years? I'm telling you today, this commission, and this is the bottom line for the day, this great commission is a commission for every born-again believer in Jesus. When he said this to these 11, he was talking to you and me. Amen? Amen. Father, bless this word today. As we uh, take our seats in just a moment, let us open our ears and our hearts to receive what you want to say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen? amen? Amen. You can be seated this morning. Look at verse 19 with me again. Right here is where we're going to camp for most of the day. Verse 19 says, therefore, go. Can we all say that? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I got to be honest with you. For years, I read that, and I thought the, the emphasis of the sentence was go. Because that sounds authoritative and directional and get up, let's get moving, go. Those are the command, those are the charge words. But to be honest with you, if you look at this verse in the original context, the imperative is not go. The imperative of the Great Commission is making disciples. In other words, it could be translated like this. He could have said, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations teaching them, baptizing them. The imperative is that we make disciples. He didn't say make crowds, though we love a good crowd. Amen? He said make disciples. He didn't say make converts, make decisions. Now, I, I will say this. Oftentimes, discipleship begins for us in the crowd setting. You might not be at the place where you're ready to just jump right out on the, on the edge of the limb and go all in and all out for Jesus. But if you could just find your way into the house of God with the people of God, faith can grow there. And though discipleship is not a decision, how many of you know it does start with a decision? At some point in your journey, you make up your mind. You make a choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. But discipleship is to be a disciplined Learner, And you're not a disciple of Christ until you've made up a decision in your mind that you're going to turn from sin and towards Jesus. That's what the word repent means, to turn away from sin and towards Jesus. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in you, you're going to begin to live every day of your life to honor Jesus. You won't get it right every time. You won't be perfect in it. None of us are. But when you make that purposeful decision to say, I'm turning from sin, I'm turning towards the, the Savior, and I'm going to live my life and follow Him and obey His commands, that is a disciple. And can I just reiterate this morning that that is what we're called to be. And that is what we're called 
to make. That's the emphasis of this commission. Make disciples. Now today, if you're a note taker, I want to give you four things. There are, there are four things that you need to catch in this great commission. And I don't want you to miss the all in the call. So I'm going to give you four alls today. If you're a note taker, write this first one down. In verse 18, look at it with me again. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Come on, somebody say all authority. authority. Now, what Jesus didn't mean exclusively when he said that was that I'm in charge on the earth. And when you get on the other side of the pearly gates, I'll be the authority figure there. He was saying more than that, though that's a great statement. What Jesus was saying, and what oftentimes we get in Scripture, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven belongs to me. See, when when they talked about heaven, what they were talking about was, was heavenly realms, spirit beings, demonic powers. The heavenly realms. The the Bible describes it like this in Ephesians 6.12. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus said, I got all authority over those. How many of you know that's good news today? I mean, come on. If that doesn't make you want to go, it ought to at least make you willing to kneel and to pray. Because that tells us that Jesus has all authority. When something wants to oppress you in your thinking or confuse you in your understanding, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you don't have to worry as a child of God. You can pray because Jesus has all authority. I'm trying to preach some of y'all happy. I didn't even get to the hard stuff yet. He's in control. And he said, not only am I in control in heaven, but I'm also in control in the earth. See, at the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin and darkness. He stole the game plan from the enemy when he canceled sin and death power over the child of God. He might have bruised his heel, but he crushed the devil's head at the cross. And so he has all authority over spiritual powers in the heavenly realms, but he's also in charge in the earthly realm. And as I got to thinking about that this week, this kind of humorous thought came to my mind that I thought, well, he better, he better have all authority in the earthly realm. Because think of the implications for us if he doesn't. I mean, seriously, who are we to go to uh, nations and neighbors and tell them, hey, what you thought was the truth is not the truth. In fact, if you die believing your truth, you're never going to see eternal life. Your truth is not the truth, and and what you need is Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, the life, and he's the only way to get to God. No one comes to the Father except but by him. I mean, you talk about being narrow-minded. That's pretty exclusive right there. Who are we to say that to people if Jesus doesn't have all authority? I I mean, what 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 if there's a little authority left over for Muhammad? You know... What if Buddha has some authority in certain regions? What if Confucius has some authority? No, no, the the only reason that we can make such an audacious claim about Jesus, who he is, and how he's the way of salvation is because of this authoritative statement right here. Because Jesus said, all the authority is mine in the earth. 
It's all mine. And because I have all authority, you can go with confidence into all the world with this gospel. That's what he's called us to do, to take this gospel. And, and if he doesn't have all authority, then we, we probably ought to be quiet. We probably ought to not make quite as much noise. Some of you are doing a great job of that already this morning. Hey, I won't apologize for my personality. You know, sarcasm is one of my spiritual gifts, okay? I just, I just, I just roll the way God made me. Isn't it good that we don't have to fear the devil or his schemes? We have an authoritative message. That's why, that's why the next verse, verse 19, starts with the word, therefore. Now, that's an important word. When you see the word therefore in the scripture, you ought to say, what is that therefore? Because that's a purpose statement. Therefore, what do you mean there? If you, if you open your Bible for your devotions and the first word is therefore, you need to go back a chapter. Because what he's saying is because of that, this is about to happen. Because of that reality, this is your reality. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What for? Because all authority in heaven and on the earth belongs to me. So the most logical thing you can do is take that truth and run with it to the ends of the earth. That's what he's saying. So look at verse 19. This is the second all. Therefore, go and make disciples of, come on, say it with me, all nations. All nations. Make disciples of all nations. Can I just say to you, when Jesus made this statement, he was speaking directly into the preconceived ideas of the disciples. There was a pushback. There was a confrontation when he said all nations. He was confronting their fears. He was confronting their insecurities. I'll go so far as to say that Jesus was confronting racism in this moment and nationalism in this moment. In fact, the prejudice of the disciples was such a stumbling block that this was one of the very reasons that Jesus said, before you go. Remember Acts chapter 1? This is Luke's interpretation of this great commission. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus said, before you go, before you preach the gospel, before you make disciples, you need to head to Jerusalem and you need to wait for the promise of the Father. You need to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 8, he said, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, not before, but after the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Can I just tell you today, if they had not gone to Jerusalem and waited and tarried in that prayer meeting for 10 days until they were clothed with power from on high, I don't think they ever take the gospel outside of Jerusalem. They might not venture to Judea. They definitely don't go to Samaria, and it never gets to the ends of the earth. But God understood if you're going to grasp the all of the call, if you're going to get this gospel to all the nations, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because not only does it fill us with power, it tear down walls of division. Think about Peter. He was there in that prayer meeting. He was on that mountain when Jesus gave the commission. And on the day of Pentecost, after he and all the others had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and God did a miracle. The Bible says people from every tribe and tongue were there. And people heard the gospel going forth in their own languages. I mean, God put his supernatural stamp 
on his desire for the message to cross borders and, and linguistic groups. On the day of Pentecost, people heard the message in their languages. And Peter started to preach on that day. And many of you know some 3,000 people got saved at the end of that message. But before he finished speaking, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter, or 39, Peter said these words. He said, the promise, talking about the Holy Spirit, that had just come on them. The promise is for you and for your children and for all that the Lord will call. For all, he said. That's who this is for. It's for everybody. Day of Pentecost, that's what he said. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 10. Years have gone by. And God tells Peter, same guy, to go and to share the gospel in the house of a man named Cornelius. And you know what? Peter doesn't want to go. You know why? Because Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter starts pushing back. He starts going, wait, wait a minute. They're not like us. They don't follow our laws. They don't follow our customs. They don't live by our rules. I don't think I'm supposed to go over there with the gospel. And God has to do another supernatural intervention. He has to give him a vision from heaven to communicate to Peter, who said, this is for everybody afar off and for all who the Lord our God will call. He had to show him again, Peter, this is for everybody. Don't miss the all in the call. And then you go to Acts 15. It's now 20 years after the day of Pentecost. They got the message. They got the spirit empowerment. They were sent. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 20 years go by. And they call a council meeting. This is the Jerusalem Council of Elders. And you know what the debate on the floor is? They're trying to decide who should we include in the church. Same prejudice, same nationalism, same racial barriers. 20 years, they're still trying to figure out who should we let in? The people that act this way, the people that live by these customs, or just the people that follow all of our rules and all of our cultural standards? And I don't have to tell you this, some of you are ahead of me already, but how many of you know it hasn't changed much in our generation? It hasn't changed much. I, I, I got to be honest with you, and this isn't a political statement by any means. It's a theological one. I'm sick into my stomach when I see the conversation of the church in America in these last few weeks. When it comes to border control and racial issues and culture. Now, again, talking about God's heart for all nations and how we can so easily lean into the comfort and security of what is familiar and what is known. There's something that they needed in the first century that we need in this 21st century, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to speak with new tongues as they did so that God can break down all of the walls of division and stir our hearts for the call to all the nations. If we would just watch the news less and Pray in the spirit more. I think the church would be a lot stronger today. How about you? Amen. Just turn off Fox and CNN and NBC and get the heart of God. Get clarity on the mission that we're called to. I'm telling you, this great commission is great because it's for all nations. You know that word nations in verse 19, it actually is the word ethnos. It means people groups. 
In other words, we didn't have all the geopolitical divisions in that day that we do today. So when Jesus said, take the gospel to all the nations, he didn't mean the 196 nations that we have with our borders. What he meant was people groups, people that associate by common languages and cultures and characteristics. Missionary leaders today have identified what they categorize as unreached people groups. And, and to, to clarify who that is, they've described it as those with less than 2% of their population being made up of evangelical Christians. So if there's a people group, not a nation as we know it, but a, a dialect, a culture that has less than 2% of that culture being evangelical Christians, they would, be, they would be categorized today by world missions as an unreached people group. In other words, they will most likely, most of the people in that culture will be born, will live, and will die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're unreached. There's no pastors, there's no churches. They're unreached. And of the 11,000 plus people groups in the world, and that's a conservative number. Over 6,000 of them fall into that category of unreached people groups. Church, that's almost 3 billion people that are virtually unreached. What does that mean for us? It means we have a lot of work to do. It means we have a huge task that is before us. Because Jesus didn't ask us if we could fit the commission into our church budget. He called us to it. He said, this is the cause. This is the human right. This is the great commission. Now, here's a study that just blows my mind even more. Statistics say that 350 of those unreached people groups, those cultures that have less than 2% represented of evangelical Christians, 350 of those groups reside here in the United States. They're immigrants, they're foreign international students, they're refugees, 350 unreached people groups right here, I mean under our noses, within our reach, you don't have to, you don't have to stamp a passport to answer the call of the Great Commission, just go to the college campus, go to your workplace, go to the grocery store, they're here, they're all around us. final instructions of our Savior were to make disciples of all the nations. So when a Christian says, and this, this really does bother me, and I've heard this many times, but when a Christian says, you know, I, I, really, I really don't want to support global missions because we have enough problems here. I just feel like we need to, you know, kind of take care of our own issues here. When a person makes that kind of a statement, do you understand it's unbiblical. It's actually, it's a disregard for the clear command of God. The Great Commission is not a, a buffet where we go, you know what, I think, I think I'd like to reach this people group. I'm concerned about them. Don't really care about those folks over there. You know, never really had a heart for the people in that nation. No, it's all the nations. Don't miss the all in the call. And by the way, you remember Acts 1-8, I mentioned it earlier, when Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You do realize that when he talked about the uttermost, that was us. Right? Jesus didn't minister in the Susquehanna Valley. We're the uttermost. We're not the hometown. In other words, we're here on a Sunday morning, quietly listening to this sermon. Because somebody in a previous generation was faithful to the Great Commission. I mean, come on, we owe a debt of gratitude to people that were not self-centered in their faith. We owe a debt of gratitude to people on foreign soils who came here with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the uttermost. And we have this command. We have this commission that God has called us to take the gospel to the nations. You know, if there's a a warning sign in hell, and I think maybe there is, then the words of Matthew 24, 14, would be posted on that sign. Listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then... The end will come. Don't you know that's a warning to hell? You better believe the devil knows his end is destruction. He knows the time is soon approaching when when the game is up. I mean, he knows. He has nothing to look forward to but a lake of fire. And so I, I can imagine that this scripture is posted as a warning sign. He knows that this gospel is going to be preached to all the nations and then the end is going to come. That's why he fights so hard against the church when it comes to sharing the gospel. And I don't just mean evangelism. I mean he fights particularly hard against taking the gospel across racial and ethnic barriers. He wants us to have this American Jesus. Because he knows this gospel is going to be preached to the nations and then the end is going to come. His time is up. Now, the truth is this. I I don't know this morning how Jesus defines unreached people groups. Now, I know the missionary stats say who they are, but the truth is this, and we should never forget it. Jesus could come back today. He could decide at any moment. The time is up. The day is at hand. He could call for the archangel of God to sound the trumpet and Jesus could come and take his church out of this world in the twinkling of an eye. It might happen today and we are called to live that way with that expectation. Don't know, but here's what I do know. It hasn't happened yet. And that means the church still has work to do. That means that we have a great commission to fulfill. Let me give you the third all in this call. It's in verse 20. Look at it with me. He said, as you go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Everything I've commanded you. Another translation would say, teaching them all the command. Can we just say all the command? Now, don't answer this out loud, but I want you to just consider for a moment. In your own heart. Have you embraced 
the full counsel of God's word. I, I know what the temptation is. I know the tendency to want to skim over the tough stuff, to kind of look past the stuff that doesn't really sit in well with our culture in 2018. I know what the temptation is because I can look across the landscape of America and see entire denominations that are changing their theological stance because it's not palatable with America. How many of you know that the command of the commission is all? It's all. It's, it's, not, it's not find what, what seems to, to be favorable with the crowds. I mean, it would be easy enough to just keep preaching grace and mercy and the love of Jesus. And we need to preach it loud and proud. But listen, as much as going and telling people about the hope of salvation is a part of the Great Commission, so is teaching all the commands. It's part of it. You know, a lot, a lot of times, here's what we do. We think when it comes to the Great Commission, we think that discipleship is what happens in the church. You know, whether it's the Sunday school model or life groups or adult Bible studies or, or a Sunday morning sermon. We think discipleship is what happens in the church, but the commission, that's what happens outside the church. I mean, he did say go, so that's what happens out there. We go and we make disciples. Listen, as much as going is part of the Great Commission, so is instruction. Here's how it looks in our church. Our vision is leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Meeting people where they are, that's evangelism. But leading them to where God wants them to be, that's discipleship. That's a process of becoming a disciplined learner. That's what God wants for us, to be committed to all the truth. I mean, why wouldn't you want all the truth? Jesus said this. Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The only freedom that we can have, I mean, yes, we, we, we talk about freedom in Christ and freedom in Jesus. Yes, that's true, but can I just be honest with you? The freedom doesn't come when you raise your hand at the end of a service and come to an altar to pray. Because there's a lot of people that are singing victory in Jesus, but they're living every day shackled by fear, by depression, by sins of their past, by condemnation from the devil. Should I go on? There's a lot of people that say, I have freedom in Christ, but they're not living free. Why? Because freedom is not in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Freedom is knowing the truth. That's why the Great Commission includes all the commands. A commitment to say, God, I, I want to walk in this truth. And for some of you today, this would be your response to the Holy Spirit. Your response to the Great Commission today is to say, God, I want to surrender myself to all the commands. To all of them. There, there's some, I mean, I, I've got it, I'm good, I, I can do it. But there's some commands, Lord, I know you've been dealing with me by your Holy Spirit. There's some things I need to change. There's some patterns in my lifestyle. There's some choices I'm making. And I've just allowed those things to go on. But today, by your spirit, I recognize the all in the call includes the commands of Scripture. And so God today, God today, I want to align my life with the word of God. Let me give you the last one. Here's the fourth all in the call. Verse 20, B. 
says this, and surely I am with you always. Come on, somebody say always. always. To the very end of the age. In the Greek, the text literally reads, I am with you all the days, even to the consummation of the age. Now, that's a great verse. And you know what? It's a verse that we oftentimes love to quote as the church. I'm with you always. Lo, I am with you always. Even if you're a King James person, lo, I am with you always. Somebody tried to discourage me from doing uh, winter mountaineering. They said, Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> Stay down here on the ground. Don't climb up that mountain. He said, I'm with you always. And we love to quote that verse. It's a great verse. It's a great promise. But can I just encourage you today? Let's not divorce the promise from the plan. Look at the context of this promise. Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. Because all authority is in me in heaven and on earth. As you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the commands. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. See, here's, here's the problem for a lot of us. We hear a, a message about the Great Commission. We sing a song about I give myself away, and we go, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to join in that course. I don't know if I want to lean into that because I don't have the assurance. I don't have the confidence. I don't have that, that conviction that God is with me. If I just had more of his presence, then I'd be willing to go. I think a lot of people are in that place. I, I've been there before. But I think it's significant that the go came before the low. You see, if you're waiting for more of a confirmation and an affirmation in some felt experience of God's presence before you answer his call, you may just stay in a place of waiting. But I believe if you'll step out in faith, if you'll begin to obey the known will of God for your life, if you'll go, he says, low, in the process, I'm with you. I'll be with you. You got to step out in faith first. You got you to gotta step up before he'll thrust you by his spirit into the harvest field. There's two different times in Matthew's gospel. There's two times that Jesus promises us, I'll be with you. And I think it's significant that we understand those two circumstances. Now, I mean, God is with us, yes. He's with everybody. I mean, he's, he's omnipresent. But how many of you know there's a difference in saying, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm with you? Let, let me explain what I mean. Right now, I'm with you. Now, you might be here, you don't even know me, but I'm with you. But how many of you understand, if we're in the grocery store, and sir, you come up and you start hitting on my wife, and, and I walk up into your personal space and say, she's with me. How many of you know that's a different whiff than what we have going on right now? There are some moments in your life where Jesus promises, I am with you. And the first one in Matthew is in chapter 18, verse 20. It says this, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. He's talking about worship. When we worship, he's with us. Aren't you glad he came this morning? When we worship God, he is with us. Now, you can worship all by yourself. I know. I mean, listen to your Christian radio. Ha have a great time with God. But there's something that God does that is, 
It's intangible. It's so powerful. There's something God does when we worship together. Amen. It's a promise. He said, when two or three gather together in my name, I am, I am with you. It's powerful. It's palpable. I'm here today. The second time that he promised it was in the context of this great commission. He said, when you go and you make disciples of the nations, I'm with you. Even when you're persecuted, I'm with you. Even when you don't know what to say, I'm with you. I'll give you the words to say. Even when you feel intimidated or fearful or afraid or doubtful, I am with you if you're committed not only to worship but to witness. I'm with you in the witness. That's what he's saying in this moment. He wants to be with you. I want you to hear my heart today. I believe God is calling us to something great. It's great. He has all authority. If you're here today and, and maybe you, you, need, you need God to, to take authority over a situation in your life, I'm going to pray for you. I mean, if you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord and maybe you don't know the direction for your life, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for substance. I'm telling you, Jesus has all authority. And, and your response in this moment, your appropriate response would be to just have faith in the authority that Jesus has. If you're questioning the future and you don't, you don't know what happens after I die, Jesus is the authority on that. He has all authority in the earth and all authority in the heavenly realms. And he knows how to get you from the earth realm to the heavenly realm. He's the authority. If you're here today and you're sick in your body, you need a healing. Jesus is the authority in your physical body. I'm not saying don't trust your doctors. Go to the appointments. Take the medication they prescribe if it's going to help you. But them and their medication and their prescription are not the authority on your healing. You could take that for the next 10 years and not get healed. Or you cannot take anything and God can just perform a miracle because he's the authority in your life. If you're struggling emotionally or relationally, Jesus is the authority in your life. I'm telling you today, all you need to do is recognize the sovereignty of God over your life. He's sovereign. He's in control. I heard somebody say, well, if God's sovereign over it all, then, then why, why even pray? And to that, I would say, if God's not sovereign, why pray? I mean, really, if he can't change the circumstances, why pray? Why trust God? Why ask God for healing? Why ask God for salvation and peace and security and eternal life? If he's not sovereign, he is sovereign. All the authorities in his hands. And I want to pray for you today. I want to ask you right where you're at, if you would just bow your head with me and close your eyes. I want to ask our musicians to come back. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is the revelation that some of you need to grab today. You need to recognize that Jesus is in control of your life. And he ordained this day and this moment for you. The Bible says it like this. Today is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is your time. This is your moment for God to move to flex his mighty right arm on your behalf, to show himself strong for you. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I need Jesus to move in my life. I want you to pray a prayer of faith. 
Father, today, Lord, right now, you hear the hearts of your people. Lord, you see the burdens of our lives. And God, you know what we're dealing with. You know what we're going through. God, I pray today that you would show yourself strong right now in this moment. That God, your power would just begin to settle on us. That we would feel the encouragement and the strength of your presence. In this moment, God, if there's anyone here today that that is far from you. Sin has separated them from a relationship with their heavenly father. God, I pray in this moment, would you break down the walls? Would you remove the barrier of sin? God, as they call upon you right now for salvation. God, for those that are sick in body, Lord, we call upon you to be our healer. If that's you today and you're sick in your body, would you just lift your hand toward heaven? Come on, right where you're at, right where you're seated. Just lift your hands toward heaven. Say, God, I receive your healing right now. Come on, receive it right now. God, I receive your healing. I receive your grace in my life. God, I receive wholeness of mind and body. Peace, Lord God, I receive it right now. Take authority, Lord God, over my mind and my emotions. Lord, in my relationships today, Lord, I receive your authority. You're the one who makes all things new. God, those things that look broken and beyond repair, God, today, speak your authoritative word over them, over relationships, over marriages, over hopes and dreams. God, speak a better word today. You are the final authority. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.